0: Morning. Morning, church. And so, if you're glad to see your pastor, say amen. <laughs> that, was a little, that was a little scary, right? I wonder how you're going to respond. So, I hated not being with you last week. Uh, but this week, uh, or last week, I was preaching for Sean Akery. Uh, so, Sean used to serve on staff here. He's a pastor planning a church called Journey Community Church in Franklin. So, we're their sponsor church. And so, he said, Hey, if you've got a Sunday, I'd love to come and preach for us and see what God is doing and introduce you to our people. And so, it's a great way to go and preach with them. Last week, but it's a joy to be back here with you this week. So, I was reminded last week, uh, when you go guest speak at another church, it's hard. Uh, They they don't know that I'm the funniest person they've ever met. They don't know that I'm a profound fountain of wisdom. They just don't know, right? Like, you know, and so, sometimes when you go to uh, speak at a place that they don't know how to take you, or things like that. And so, it's a little hard to be a guest speaker. And so, every year for Super Summer Now, for I guess seven summers, uh, we've had guest speakers in in July. And it's always hard to preach in another place. And I was reminded of that last week. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If they tell a joke, you should laugh. All right. If they say something that you agree with, you should say amen and encourage them. If they say anything that lines up with what I've taught. You should stand up and cheer, because that means it's truth, right? Uh, if they say anything that disagrees with what I've taught, they're wrong, and we'll turn their mic off. You guys got that in the back. So so it is a, it is a lot of fun. So this year, we planned out Super Summer. We just said, hey, who are the guys who have connected with our church when they have came? And so uh, last week was Dr. Robert Smith Jr. Did you guys enjoy Dr. Smith last week? What an incredible, gifted communicator. Someone said, you remind me of Dr. Smith in no way whatsoever. And so thrilled he was here. And uh, this week, it's uh, Dr. Jamie Ward. So Jamie's been in Bowling Green, Kentucky for 14 year- years. Uh, Jamie grew up and graduated just down the road. So this area is from, from home for him. And over the last 14 years at Hillview Church, where he's the co-lead pastor, over the last 14 years, they've baptized over 8,000 people. Just an incredible church, doing incredible work for Christ, for the gospel. You can cheer about that. That's good, right? And so uh, and mo- most important of all the things I can say about Jamie is Jamie's a friend. And so anytime I'm going through town to Nashville or something like that, I always stop and try and connect with Jamie. And so I just love him, love his heart for the gospel, love to hear him preach. And so Liberty Heights Church, is the third time he's been here. Would you make welcome to our pulpit this morning, Dr. Jamie Ward.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I said, is this too awkward? He said, it "Is I told you this thing was tall. That's much better. Well, and I do, I love your pastor, and he does, the last couple times he's gone through Bowling Green, he's called because he forgot his wallet, and so I usually give him some money or something. Um, But it is always a privilege to be here with you all. My family got to be here, wave family. I wouldn't applaud for them, but... So I got four kids, one of them's awesome and the other three, not so much. But if you meet them, you can figure out who's who. But it is a great privilege to be here. One thing I was upset about is when the lineup, the only request I had in coming back here in July is I did not want to follow Robert Smith. And I didn't think I did until I got here this morning. They told me that uh, Dr. Smith was here last week. He was my preaching professor at seminary and so... Um, what I thought we'd do is just show the video from last week. (laughs) No, I am excited to be here. Would you all pray with me? Father, we love you, and Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truthfulness of your word, and Lord, we thank you for the salvation uh, that you alone provide through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, through the resurrection. And Lord, I pray you speak to us. Lord, every week I go to church, and I want to hear what I want to hear. And I'd say maybe some folks have come like that this morning. But Lord, our collective prayer is that you speak to us what you want us to hear. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So this will be very interactive this morning. Is that okay? (laughs) You can't affirm that with inactivity. So so is that okay? we'll, We'll be interactive? All right. I really appreciate the heads up that when I tell a joke, please just laugh. Right, Because this will be on the internet. Billions around the world are going to hear this. So if you can help with that, that'll, that'll be great. But let me ask you a question. Can anybody tell me, because I heard basically this place is filled with Bible scholars. That's a joke. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> can anybody tell me who the first king of Israel was? What'd you say? Yes, it was Saul. Can anybody remember? Now these three guys on the, on the second row... Told me they pretty much know the entire Bible. What's your guys' names again? Micah? Uh Uh-huh. Ethan? All right, I didn't hear your name. I just said yes. Caleb. Okay, great. Do one of you three guys know why Saul became the king? They're conferring. Do you guys have an idea? Okay, don't say it, and I'll say it, and you just tell me if that's what you were thinking. So so Saul becomes the first king of Israel. You know, they weren't going to be a monarchy, right? Israel wasn't going to be a monarchy. But all of a sudden, Saul becomes king. Why does he become king? Because the people wanted a king. Why did they want a king? Who would need more interaction from the Yes, right there with your hand up. holy cow, how old are you? 10? You are a Bible scholar. Hey, if I mess anything up, just raise your hand and correct me, okay? Yes, did you hear it? What's your name? Evan? Wow, won't you sit in the front row? No, stay right there. Evan's right. You know, Israel wasn't wasn't supposed to be a monarchy. But, but the people decided they wanted to be like the other nations. Anybody in this room ever feel that way? You wanted to do something because everybody else was doing it? Nobody. That's amazing. I've never preached to such a holy congregation. So, so if, you, if you're a child in my house, you get a phone when you're 15 years old. right? If you're not 15, you don't get a phone. And I had to hear from all my kids all these years growing up before they were 15. They would say, but dad, all the other kids have cell phones. And I say, well, good, it'll be easy to borrow one when it's time to come home, right? If everybody else has one. And so the Israelites, they wanted a king because all the other nations had kings right and the prophet even tells them if you get a king it's going to be horrible it's going to be one of the worst things that ever happened but the people will not relent they want a king and so the people choose a king who did they choose saul does anybody remember the reigning attribute credited to saul as to why he was chosen to be king would you say good looking That that was more like David. He was ruddy and handsome. I'm kind of a David guy myself. Does may remember? What? Did somebody say it? What was it? What was, yes. He was tall. Yeah, I mean, it was almost, he might have been handsome, but we know he was tall. And that was the reigning attribute. That was the thing. And so let me just help all you tall guys. Because whenever I lead our men's ministry, Brad, at church, whenever I get up to speak and I stand before the podium, guess what somebody inevitably will yell? Stand Stand up. So the last guy that said that to me was six foot nine. And you know what I told him? I said, you need to understand something, sir, about the creation of man. When God was making a man, he stopped him when he was one. So I looked at my six foot nine buddy and said, I can't help it if you were a wuss at five seven. Some of us were men at that point, right? And actually, when you look in the Bible, if the Bible ever says about a guy that he was tall, can I just tell you something? He was a bad guy. You've got Saul. Who else do you have? Goliath. Who else? I only know of those two, but you get the point, Right. And so Saul was tall, he becomes king. And you know what? He, it's not that he did all bad things. He did some good things, but eventually, though, he he won't follow God. He, he won't stick. Listen, if you read the Old Testament, how many of you here read the Old Testament? Wow, that's more than at my church. That's great. When you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about God's decrees, God's statutes, God's Laws. And when you read the Old Testament, you don't get the feeling that God's laws are oppressive. You don't get the feeling that they're even burdensome. But what you understand when you read the Old Testament is it's a delight to follow God's decrees, God's statutes, and God's laws. But Saul gets tired of it. He does his own thing. And eventually, God takes his hand off of Saul. And who's the next king? Say it real loud. David now listen that this is one of my favorite stories the prophet Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and when he gets to the to the house of Jesse um, because the Lord had led the prophet there and he said that one of Jesse's sons would be king and the Bible tells us if you read in first Samuel the Bible says that the first son that comes through the door his name is does anybody know his name Y'all need to read your Old Testament more, right? Eliab, right? Is it Eliab? (laughs) Brad's like, I don't know. I don't read the Old Testament. (laughs) It's Eliab, I think. I'm pretty sure it's Eliab. Eliab comes through the door, and Samuel looks at him, and Samuel says to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointed." So I guess he was just a stud, right? He was probably like six foot six, chiseled face, right? No body fat and incredibly brilliant. And Samuel looks at him and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But then God speaks a powerful word to the prophet. And let me just tell you, everybody look up here. This is a word we need to remember. Because God says to Samuel, because Samuel is so impressed by the physicality of Eliab, and God says to him, do not consider the outward appearance. Why? That's what man looks at. Right? That's what we look at is the outward appearance. But, but God says to Samuel, but God looks at the heart. That's what God considers. That's what God looks at. I'm, I'm a member of a gym right now that's pretty much costing me about $400 a visit. <laughs> if you don't get that, that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, you pay the membership and then you go one time. <laughs> that's a $400 visit to, to the gym, right? But, but because our culture is all about the outward appearance, isn't it? I mean, isn't that how a lot of people look at people? And maybe some of us in here, we're guilty of that. But what does the Lord say? The Lord says that God looks at the heart. And if God looks at the heart, what is it that he desires from us? It's our hearts. That's what he wants, right? That's the challenge. So David, and unfortunately, David, you know, he's the only guy in the Bible that that the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But unfortunately, if I say David and, what do you all say? Bathsheba. Right? You remember that story? David's out on the balcony. He looks across. There's a woman bathing. I always wondered if she had been taking a shower, would she have been shower Sheba? (laughs) But she was bathing, so she was bath Sheba, right? Um, And unfortunately for David, that's what a lot of people remember. You know why that's what a lot of people remember? Because man looks at the outward. That's what man looks at. Right, but we know even eventually David struggles. He, he, you know, he has his issues, and we finally we make it to the third king of Israel, and that's the king we're going to talk about this morning. Maybe the longest introduction to a sermon you've ever heard. Who's the third king of Israel? Solomon, right? And and what do we know about Solomon? Like, well, what what would what's the one word you think of when you think of Solomon? Wisdom. I heard a lot of you say wisdom, and that's generally what I think of—is the wisdom of Solomon. But I want to read to you something. And and, and one, I just have to be honest, uh, I didn't even know this was in the Bible, okay? Not Solomon, but, but what we're about to check out in Deuteronomy. How many of you are like right in the middle of Deuteronomy right now in your re- Bible reading? Evan? <laughs> Evan said, I read that last week. In Deuteronomy 17, let me tell you something about God. He is so powerful. Say amen. He's omniscient. Say amen. (laughs) Omnipotent. What's the other omni? Thank you. I forgot. Omnipresence, right? I mean, he's a mighty God, isn't he? He's a powerful God. He's a sovereign God. Say amen. I mean, he, he's, there's nothing like God in the world, right? And, and, and so even though Israel was not intended to be a monarchy, God always knew that the people would rebel. They would demand a king. And so guess what God does way before there's a king? He issues rules for kings of Israel. I didn't even know this. Evan, did you know this? He's saying, yes, he did. not Of course you didn't. <laughs> Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 17, 16, and this is under the rules for kings, okay? It says this, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire horses. Now, let me ask you something, church. Why why would this be in here? Why would he say he didn't want the people to go back to Egypt to acquire horses? Anybody know? Anybody think of the history of Egypt? Yeah, they'd been held, they were in captivity, so he didn't want them to go back. And so he just sets up this very, I mean, let's be honest, this is a pretty simple rule, right? So any of you kids here that are around the age of 16, if your parents said, uh, we do not want you going to Fields Ertel Road to find a car, do they still call it Fields Ertel Road? Because it was literally a field when I was growing up. Now it's like a metropolis, I mean, that's a pretty simple instruction. Don't go to Egypt. I mean, do you all know there's horses all over the world? Say amen. Do you all remember the whole interactive thing? There's horses all over the world, right? This is just kind of the one place he said, don't go back to Egypt and get horses. It reminds me of the garden in Genesis, right? There's all kinds of trees. There's all kinds of fruit. And God said, hey, this one tree, don't eat from it. I mean, that's simple, right? And so God set forth as a rule for the king not to go to Egypt to acquire horses. And listen to what we read in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 28. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew. I mean, he did exactly what God told him not to do. And following God's decrees, God's statutes, and God's laws... It's not supposed to be burdensome. It's supposed to be a joy to do what God has asked us to do. But the Bible tells us that even though the kings were told, do not go to Egypt to acquire horses, Solomon did it anyway. And then this next rule, Evan, this is going to blow you away. The next rule. Anybody ever get asked that awkward question by maybe a friend who's unchurched that said, how come all those guys in the Old Testament had all kinds of wives? Raise your hand if, you, if anybody's ever asked you that or you thought about, right? Yeah. And, and I don't know. I've, I've got a doctorate, and I didn't know how to answer the question. I was like, well, you know, that was the Old Testament. Like almost alluding to it was okay. Do you know it wasn't okay? Yes, Solomon had a lot of wives, and he was wrong for it. He wasn't supposed to. He just did it anyway. Again, in Deuteronomy 17, the Bible says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. And when it says many wives, it doesn't mean he can just have two or three, but not 18 or 19. But it says to not multiply the wives that he has. You know what that means? That means he could have one wife. Raise your hand if you have one wife. Isn't that enough? First Kings 11 1 Kings 11:1 says this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. He's, he's the original James Bond, right? That he loved many foreign women. And, and, and you know what came along with loving many foreign women? Is some of those women worship Molech and some of them worship Moab. And and they didn't turn from their gods to marry Solomon. They held on to that culture and that history and the worship and the service of those gods. And men, I don't know if you've ever been in this position. You know how sometimes you got to do stuff to please your wife? Like wear deodorant, take a shower once a month, you know, those kind of things. Solomon's in the same boat. Because these women don't want to worship Yahweh. They want to worship Molech. And guess what what Solomon does? Guess what he does, Evan? He's like, you tell him. I don't want to say all the answers. He builds temples to these other gods to please his wives. And do you know that God knew this would happen? That's why in Deuteronomy 17, God said, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Now listen to this. What turns away? His heart. What is it that God's after? Our hearts. That's what He wants, right? And how much does He want? All of it. Every bit of it, right? And then we go to Deuteronomy 17 again. And the Bible says, "...nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold." In 1 Kings 10, it says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon on one year was 666 talents. So I did a Google search. How much is 666 talents? And it's right around a billion dollars, right? That's what he makes in one year. And think about this, and I am not prepared to discuss this, but it did wig me out a little bit. 666 talents? Now that freaks me out. If I go to the gas station and get a candy candy bar and a pop and it comes out to $6.66, I throw in a pack of gum. Right? Anybody else do that? Thank you. I do. Hey, I'm not even kidding, right? I don't know why, but it freaks me out. A billion dollars. And listen, and it's one of the things that I think sometimes we brag about with Solomon. We would say Solomon was wise, but we'd also say he was wealthy. Let me tell you, TBN would have loved this guy. They would have loved him. But God said not to do it. Not to acquire that kind of wealth, you know, that that your life would be about it. You don't accidentally make a billion dollars. For, has anybody here made a billion dollars besides Brad? Anybody else? Listen, you don't accidentally make a billion dollars. You might accidentally make 10. You know, you go to the neighbors and she's a, a, a nice older lady and you pick up some sticks and then she, you find $10 in your mailbox. You might accidentally make $10. You don't accidentally make a billion. To make a billion dollars, it has to be your life's pursuit. It has to be the most important thing. And God said, don't do it. Don't be about that. Because it takes a large part of your heart to acquire a billion dollars. And guess what? God is not willing to share our hearts with anything else. You go to the Ten Commandments, it says that thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Right? You read over and over. And let me tell you, many times that the Israelites found themselves in captivity, it was almost always over idolatry. And what is idolatry? It's the worship of anything other than God. It's very interesting. I want you to think about this. In Roman culture, you had these Christians, right? Right? And, and how many of you remember the, the ten persecutions of Christians in, in, in Roman culture, right? You had Nero, you had Diocletian. I can't remember all of them, right? But they had a lot of emperors who persecuted the Christians. And, and, and then if you study Roman culture, it has to be a little bit confusing why they persecuted the Christians. Why would they do that? Because think about this. Rome was not a monotheistic society. They were a polytheistic society, much like America. America is very much a polytheistic society, right? And what I mean by that is this culture says, Man, we don't care who you worship. you worship whoever you want. And that was Rome. Rome didn't care if people worship Jesus. They had no problem with people worshipping Jesus. And so you have to think about, So why did they persecute the Christians? And this is why. You see, the Christians in Rome weren't persecuted because they worshipped Jesus. They were persecuted because they worshiped Jesus alone. They would not worship the emperor. They refused to do it. So never mistake that. The Christians weren't persecuted because they worshiped Jesus. They were persecuted because they wouldn't worship the emperor. Why is that weird? Because all the other religions, they were happy to worship whatever God and the emperor. But Christians wouldn't do it. Why? Because God calls for our complete allegiance. He wants all of our hearts. Right? And so if you're a believer and you're a follower of Jesus. And you are worshiping him and living for him the way that he requires. There's no room to worship anything else. It's just him and him alone. So Solomon comes to this place. And God makes a conditional promise to Solomon. And this really, really is the message here. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, I bet a lot of you have heard it. I bet a lot of you can quote it, right? The Bible says, say it with me if you know it. If my people, oh wait, really? (laughs) You just totally cheated. (laughs) If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. God makes this promise to so Let me tell you something that's incredible about God, and that is his grace and mercy. He is so good I wonder how many of you in the room I wonder how many of you have just totally blown it at some point in your life raise your hand we'll be confessional oh man yeah right and there are consequences for that no question right and God loves us so much that he'll discipline us right because that's what a good parent does say amen I mean I mean that's how it goes, right? Because if you have a child and you allow the whole world to revolve around that child and that child doesn't understand that there are things you can't do and there're constant that'll be the most worthless human being on the planet. And if you're a really good parent, you know what you know? They're not our kids anyway. They're God's. They belong to him. And yet, I think one of the number one forms of idolatry in America is the worship of our children. And let me tell you something. And, and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm telling you, I struggle with it. I, don't, I, I struggle to give God my kids. Do you know why? Because I want them to live in Bowling Green, Kentucky the rest of their lives. And marry and have many children. And I want those, children to, those grandchildren to live right down the road. But I'm telling you, I'm afraid if I give God those kids, they'll end up all over the world. And I don't want that. Do you want that? You probably don't care if they're not your kids. (laughs) You see, Solomon's heart got far from God. There's been times when, even with my kids, my heart gets far from God and what is god concerned about the heart remember what he said to samuel don't look at the outward appearance that's what man looks at that listen and let me tell you something and that's why in the church there shouldn't be an ounce of racism in the church because we've been called not to look at the outward appearance, but to look at the heart. That's what God is concerned with. That's what God desires, right? How, how odd would it be if we sang the glorious hymn, I surrender some. And it would sound weird to sing it that way, but it's really awkward when we live that way. And so God says, if my people who are called by my name. Now let's stop right there. If my people who are called by my name. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning and Jesus has saved you, that's you. That's me. We are his people. And how serious is God about this? The Bible says that as believers, our lives don't even belong to us. They belong to God. It's not your life. It's not my life. Our lives belong to him. And he says, and if my people who are called by my name. Now think about this. Because I do think there's an order that he gives here. I don't always think there's an order. But I think this is an order. And the first thing he says. Like you would think the first thing he would say is to pray. Because that's what we always say. Isn't it? If somebody tells you some problem they're having and you don't have a clue what to do, what do we tell them? Well, pray about it, right? That's what I tell my wife all the time. She's like, I got this issue, and I'm like, well, pray about it. That's really because I don't know what to tell her, right? But God doesn't start with prayer. He starts with humility, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Now, think about that. I don't know about you all, but some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life were in church. Anybody ever been to a bar here? Evan, you ever been to a bar? (laughs) Anybody ever been to a bar? (laughs) I know it's a really awkward thing. I don't mean last night. I just mean ever in your life, right? And listen, and you go to a bar, and it's like you walk in, and it's like family you haven't seen in 50 years, and everybody's happy you're there. People are giving you stuff. It's this incredible moment. And let me tell you, and then you come to church, And it's quite possible you come to church and you get to your seat and somebody else is sitting there. And you're thinking, do y'all have security here? I mean, do you? Yeah, right? You're like, can we get security? Section A. Somebody's in Miss Mabel's seat. Let's get them out of there. Or in the parking lot. I mean, look, there's a whole bunch of you here this morning. That parking lot can be a mess, right? People have actually used sign language on me in the parking lot at our church. That's why I don't have a bumper sticker that says Hillview Heights Church. I don't want anybody to know. But we've got to be a humble people. So I always say. So the bar is the way it is and the church is the way it is. No wonder there's more alcoholics than there are Christians. Because, man, we're supposed to be a loving people. A people that embrace people, right? And why would we do that? Because of how Jesus embraced us. Did Jesus embrace you? Anyone? It's going to be an incredible altar call. (laughs) We're going to have a thousand people saved right here this morning. And why are we supposed to be good to people? You know the Bible does say that, right? Everybody understand that? We're supposed to be good to people. Do you know why? Because God was good to us. That's why. Right? And you know we're supposed to be merciful. Did you all know that we're supposed to be merciful? You know why we're supposed to be merciful? Because Jesus was merciful to us. Galatians 6 Brad and I were talking you did what verse 10 was today and I think it's verse 1 it says if a brother is caught in a sin you who are spiritual should restore him gently everybody always thinks Galatians 6 is about clobbering somebody that got caught in a mess but it's not about the sinner it's about those who are spiritual that we restore that person gently do you know why the bible says to restore them gently Because that's how God restored us. Gently. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble themselves. That's what we've got to do that. We've got to be a humble people. And then he says, and pray. Right? You know what prayer is? Prayer is the the ultimate reliance on God. I don't know about you all, my prayer life is the greatest struggle in my spiritual walk because if I'm praying, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Anybody in here a doer? Got any Marthas? Yeah, I just want to be doing something. If something's broke at the church, Brad, I want to go fix it. And there's always a couple people say, well, why don't we sit down and pray? And I say, well, y'all pray, and I'm going to go fix it. I mean, seriously, that's my attitude sometimes. And I don't mean that against God. I just mean prayers usually. You know when I pray? When I've done everything else I know to do, then I'll pray. You know what God says? You know what the Bible says about Jesus? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now think about this. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now let me just get to a, It's 1030 my time, right? Yeah, I'm on Central Time, so it's just 10.30. i got an hour and a half. Good. (laughs) Jesus is the author and the perfecter of of my faith. Do you know what that means? Do you know who all the pressure is on to perfect my faith? I don't mean 90% of the pressure. I mean 100%. Guess who it's on? It's on Jesus. I am not the perfecter of my faith jesus is right he does that work and so we're to be a praying people every one of us right and and, and some might say well i don't have the gift of praying it's not a gift it's a privilege that every believer has that has every one of us to pray if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and what's the third one seek my face man let me tell you that's a that's a tough thing you know what the bible says about seeking God the bible says when you seek me you will find me when you seek me with all your heart and that's something we're back to heart again that's what it's about let me ask you something do you love him I mean, really, really love him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. And here's a word we don't hear a lot anymore, repentance. That we repent. Man, some of us in here, we've got struggles that we've had for decades, if we were honest. And it comes down to this idea of repentance. That we turn from those things, right? And you know what that means? We're turning, the idea of repentance is we're turning from those things and we're turning to God. Right? In in whom we trust. So if we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, then the Bible says, and I want you to hear this, then will I hear from heaven. Do you know God doesn't always listen to our prayers? I know that goes against everything you ever heard in your life. But you read Isaiah chapter one. You know what God says to the people when you say your many prayers? I will not listen. God said that in Isaiah one. He said, "Who's asked you to come before me with the blood of bulls and goats?" And you know what I what I want to say every time I read that? You did, God. (laughs) But it wasn't about the blood of bulls and goats. It wasn't about the prayer. It was about the heart. That's what God wants. That's what he is after. In every one of us, he wants our hearts. That's what he desires. And he says, and then I will hear from heaven. Then I will. That means before that, he will not hear. But when we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face and we turn from our wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let me tell you something, and I'll close with this. So I love etymologies. You know what that is, Evan? <laughs> of course you do. I love words, and at the end of every year, somewhere on the internet, I don't know what website it is, but they always talk about what are the new words that are, have basically are introduced to the common language. But what they do when they introduce the new word, they tell you what word it replaced. Right? It's, it, it, it's crazy when you, when you look at the words. So the new words aren't always necessarily brand new words. They're just words that are now more in common use. And a couple years ago, a word that was the new word, and it's a word we've heard and hear all of our lives, but it was a new word. But remember, it was only a new word because of the word it replaced. But the word was Commitment. Now, Brad, I don't know about you. I've preached a thousand sermons asking people to be committed to Jesus. And you know what I found out? That's wrong. But I like it. I like to be committed to Jesus. Do you know why? Because when we make, everybody look up here. When we make a commitment, it's on our terms. Right? Right? When those precious little Girl Scouts come to my house and knock on that door, I make a commitment with them, and that commitment is for what I want, right? Imagine you're at a gas station, and you're inside, and some guy comes in, and he's got a gun, and he holds up the gun, and he says, give me all your money. How many of you in that moment would say, tell you what, I'll make a commitment of $20, how many of you would do that? Hey, we wouldn't do that. You know why? Because that guy's not looking for our commitment. So do you know what word commitment replaced? And really, only if you're in the military or you go to church do you even hear this other word anymore. You never hear it. You know what word commitment replaced? Surrender. Because that guy holding the gun, wanting your money, he's not looking for your commitment. He's looking for your surrender. And you know the difference between commitment and surrender? Commitment is on my terms. Surrender is on the other person's terms. you know what that means? Jesus doesn't want your commitment. He wants your surrender. Some of us, The reason we've struggled in some areas of our lives for years and years and years is because we've tried to commit that place to Jesus. And he doesn't want the commitment. He wants the surrender. You see, in commitment, I don't have to give him all of my heart. I give him the part of my heart that I want to. In commitment, I give Jesus what I'm willing to give him. But here's the problem. The old hymn is true that I surrender All, and what's the Bible say? All to him I owe, right? Because he wants everything. He doesn't want your commitment. He doesn't want half your heart. He doesn't want those meaningless prayers, right? He wants everything. That's what he desires. And only the sinless savior of the world who would come and live and die and rise again can ask for that. All of us in this room, we know we have been promised so much. All of eternity awaits us, right? The Bible says that even right now, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. I remember one time after doing the funeral of a young child, the father came up after the funeral and he said to me, he said, Pastor, why wouldn't God make a world with no sickness and no dying and no disease and no sorrow and no pain? And all I could say to that man is that God did make a world like that, but it's not this one. And so in this life, He wants everything. And there's a lot of times in my life that I hold up one hand. You know why? Because I got things in this hand that I don't want to give Him. I got things in this hand that I don't want to trust Him with. And that's called a commitment. And he's looking for surrender. That you and I. That we hold both our hands up. And we say all that I am is yours. And all that I have is yours. And that we can tell him this morning. That I surrender all. And all to you I give. So I want us to do something this morning we're just going to have a time of altar I know know having an altar call is not always a real comfortable thing because you're thinking if I get up and go down there people are going to wonder what I've done and they will they're people but it's only when we're committed that we get to worry about what everybody else thinks because when you're surrendered you can't care so I want us to pray. And if you're here and you've never invited Christ to come into your life, let me tell you, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So I don't care what the culture says. Jesus said, it's him and him alone. And I would plead with you this morning. Actually, I would plead with Jesus just to save you this morning. To forgive you of your sin. And then for a lot of us, This sermon isn't about you. This sermon's, it's about all of us. It's about me. That I've been committed where God has called me to be surrendered. And so maybe just a time here at the altar, if you feel that you need to just to come and pray and say, forgive me, Lord, because I've been committed where I've needed to be surrendered. Man, all these kids going to camp. Oh, man, that's my prayer for those kids. that they would be surrendered where they've been committed. Let's stand together.